Outside, should I run and hide? How do I take my company worldwide? Do you love the law? Did you watch Hee Haw? What's the weirdest thing that you ever saw? What's it like in court? Favorite sport? Can you help with my book report? Is my hair too long? Am I right or wrong? And do you mind if I sing along to anything? Ask Alan anything in the world. Hello, everybody. Welcome to uh, another episode of Ask Alan. Uh, I'm Alan Crone, the CEO of the Crone Law Firm, and um, we're here today with uh, my special guest, Jeremy Park of City Currents. Uh, for many of you know Jeremy, he's been around the Memphis uh, business community for uh, a number of years, still young looking, but, um, but been on the scene uh, uh, quite a while. Jeremy, thanks for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. So I, I like that intro. I'll take it. Looks young, but... Uh... I'm a little old, so yeah, I'm thinking <laughs> on both ends, yeah. <laughs> well, I always, you know, I think of myself as a young guy, and I always think of you as someone younger, um, but you, um, you've been in Memphis, you've been around the Memphis business scene for how long? So we've been here for 13 or 14 years now. I lose track in a good way, but, um, you know, I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, lived in Los Angeles for almost a decade. And my wife is from this area. Her whole family lives in Corinth, Mississippi. And so when we decided to really settle down and, and where we were going to raise our family, we've got two boys now, which hard to believe one's uh, a senior in high school and the other one's now in sixth grade. But we decided to move to Memphis and we chose it because for me personally, it was the largest big city near her small hometown. And uh, it was also a place where she felt like she could put down roots and both of us could make a difference. And we love that about Memphis coming in is that it was a city where we felt like it had all the top tier city amenities, uh, some of the globally recognized brands with FedEx and AutoZone and International Paper and ServiceMaster and all these brands. Um, but yet the reality of having the small town feel where you could get to know each other, build relationships. And for both Meredith and I, be able to really make a difference. And that's something that I've always had as a priority in my life with my family is making a difference. My brother was in the Boy Scouts. My dad still serves with Boy Scouts and doing all the merit badge colleges. And I had to choose early on you know, tennis or, or scouts, but ultimately we grew up in a household where making a difference was a priority. And so for us moving to Memphis, that was the priority. And um, we've loved it for that aspect of just making a difference. And I, I feel like to me, this is the best city in the world. If you want to make a difference, you can make it in Memphis. Well, I agree. You know, Memphis has always been more so than a lot of Southern cities a metocracy. Um, you know, you can come to Memphis and if you've got good ideas, you've got a good work ethic, you've got talent, you, you can succeed here as opposed to a lot of other places. Um, I think that's partly because it was a river town and there were always people coming in and out, but there's, uh, there's just something in that, uh, aquifer water, I think, that's uh, welcoming to people. That's right. Something special in the water. Absolutely. So uh, did you grow, did you, would you say you grew up in Dallas or in LA? So, you know, both cities for, for different reasons in terms of maturity. And so I'm 43 right now. I always forget my age, but I'm, I think I'm 43 at this point. <laughs> um, so, you know, when I look at maturity, obviously Memphis is a huge piece of that in terms of 
everything that has evolved. And I feel like definitely during COVID-19, I've uh, aged quite a bit in terms of experience, but you know, definitely Texas, my family, my parents still live in Weatherford, Texas, which is a small suburb of Fort Worth. And, um, you know, went to college and everything there in Texas. So Texas definitely formative years. And the story that I tell to me that's the most impactful is growing up, my family had a 24-7 open door policy. So anyone who was down on their luck, if they were going through a divorce, lost their job, difficult situation, just needed advice, they would come over to our house. And my dad was in the insurance business. My mom was a teacher. And you know, 99.999% of the problems that people had had nothing to do with insurance and had nothing to do with my mom being a teacher. They just needed someone to be there for them. And so my brother and I at an early age really got to see just the power of helping people. It wasn't rocket science. It wasn't difficult. It was just being a listening ear and just offering genuine help and advice. And yet the more my parents helped, the more just crazy things in a good way happened to our family. And so we just, we saw the power of being there and helping others and what it would ultimately do to transform yourself. So that's where I think for me, just when you talk about the power of purpose, when you talk about what I call are the three truths that we kind of, you know, live within with City Current, which is number one, people physically solve problems. So we talk about money being an important resource, especially for nonprofits, that's true. But ultimately people physically are the ones that are solving the problems. Uh, going in and mentoring and tutoring and a dollar bill doesn't physically solve, you know, any sort of problems. It doesn't help a child. People do. So understanding that people really are the power to drive change. And then the second part of that is that the second truth is that people provide opportunities for people. So the more I get involved and the more I give and the more I'm positive and uplifting and not negative and divisive, the more good opportunities are going to are going to happen. And so you can call it good attracts good. There's a lot of buzz phrases, but I just I got to see that early on. And then that third truth is that giving leads to growth. And so seeing that at a young age really was important for me. It established for my brother. He served for over 20 years in the Marines. So service became really important for us and I think that set the stage. And then going out to Los Angeles my dreams growing up were to be in movies, to do TV, to do radio, you know, to play professional tennis. Like I was the crazy one that had all these, you know, weird, like you want to do all these things, be in music too. And yet every one of those happened in Los Angeles. And so just once again, the power of serving and building relationships opened up extremely large doors for me in my career in Los Angeles so that I got to check off all those boxes. And when I came to Memphis, I came with an open heart, an open mind, because in a good way, I had created a lot of great experiences that I could bring here to create change. But I also had checked off all those boxes to say, you know what, now I've done everything I wanna do, like in terms of those big dreams, now I wanna do something really special with my family to make a huge difference. So in both ways, it's, they were both good in different ways. Yeah. Um, you know, Justin Fuentes, when he was uh, the coach at Memphis, used to say that Fort Worth and Memphis had a lot of similarities in terms of personality of cities. Do you, do you find that to be the case? I think so. And I, I think, too, interesting about that, and I'm a little different. I mean, I understand the rivalry between Nashville and Memphis, the same as Dallas and Fort Worth. And in many cases, Fort Worth is – you know, trying to kind of fight for its own 
uh, brand against Dallas, the, the larger city with the kind of the, the sexiness in terms of international appeal because of the TV show Dallas and all these things, right? So there is a little bit of a, of a chip there that I think is interesting. But I think just going back to hometown, good people, caring about community, I think in both ways, both of those cities are very, very similar. Um, but I would even say, especially for Memphis, so many people grew up here, have deep community roots here, that to me, that's a powerful piece. They genuinely care about each other. So I think, you know, both cities are growing, both cities are doing great things, very different cities, but uh, there is a common culture for sure, yes. Yeah. Tell me about uh, being a professional tennis player. Uh, did, uh, when did you start playing tennis and how'd you, how did you pursue that? So tennis, I give tennis a lot of credit in terms of my career because it opened up so many doors for me. I grew up playing tennis. I was played in the juniors. I was ranked uh, playing tennis. Tennis was my life 24 seven. It, uh, you know, I, I would wake up early and do all the, the, the running and the sprints and the weightlifting and things, go to school and then play tennis the whole rest of the way and then stay up late doing the academics and the homework. But um, every single weekend I was on the road traveling. I played over in Europe and had a chance to, to represent um, kind of a U.S. team to play over in Europe, played in college. And the story for Los Angeles was um, when I went out there, I was with a production, a TV production company. And that's a whole nother story. That's an interesting story in terms of how I got out there. But uh, once again, relationships got me this job. And within about a year and a half, they had moved to Florida to take on another big project. And so the whole team was moving to Florida and I wanted to stay in Los Angeles. So I was basically jobless and I put out an email and said, hey, if anybody knows of any jobs, let me know. And Mike Estep, who was Martina Navratilova's coach, was my coach. Martina Navratilova had some ins with Beverly Hills Country Club. Mike Estep helped me out. So it was all back to relationships. But next thing I know, I get this email from Trevor Sands at Beverly Hills Country Club saying, hey, if you'd like to be a tennis pro and teach tennis, uh, we, we could use you at Beverly Hills Country Club. And so I was like, absolutely sign me up. But that opened up the door where I had a chance to play a little bit on the tour, which was awesome. Uh, meet so many amazing celebrities and just people in general. Paul Reiser, Paula Reiser, his wife, uh, Ridley Scott, I mean, on and on and on, just amazing celebrities, but just amazing people. And then I got to run Merv Griffin's celebrity tennis tournaments. And um, so once again, basically as a, you know, 20 something year old, having all these opportunities with tennis where it all just kind of comes together, where you get the business side, the, the athletic side of going and playing, the competitive side, but then the relationship side, so many of those people are basically like brothers and sisters to me now, and uh, we still keep in touch. And so it was a great, and that's kind of, you know, back to your point, where did you grow up? All very different, but LA was a very special part of my life for a lot of reasons, and definitely including tennis. Well, that's, uh, that's a great story. And it, it's okay. So how do you go from being, well, I guess you've already told us, you, you went from being the, the, the tennis pro, a tennis pro at the Beverly Hills Country Club to Memphis, Tennessee, because, because of love. Because of love, because of a, a girl. So <laughs> the, the, the story on that, which um, to me is an important part of the story is, so while I'm doing the tennis, I had a chance to be in movies and be in commercials, national TV commercials, had a chance to be in music. Our band had gotten signed and being, a, being in tennis, Tennis is one of those rare jobs, especially I was the head tennis pro too. 
So as long as the programs were running, I always had a job. So I could go out on tour for two weeks, come back and still be a tennis pro. So all of these things happened together. It wasn't like kind of a, you know, a hodgepodge. It literally was all together happening at the same time. But also what happened is my shoulder blew out in a challenger uh, playing tennis and we're playing doubles. We're in the finals. My shoulder blows out. So my tennis career basically in essence at that point is over. Music, we weren't making the kind of money we wanted to make. We weren't happy. Our band wasn't getting along. We were starting to break up. The acting I decided just was not for me in terms of what I wanted, wanted to pursue. So all these things came shattering almost within like a 30 day window. It all shattered to the ground. And so at that point, I'm basically soul searching saying, okay, everything I've poured my heart and soul into creating now in essence is completely wiped away. What do I want to do? My degree was in marketing and that's where I decided, okay, I need to get back into the professional, the corporate circle. And I also need to start like seriously focusing on settling down and being an adult and, you know, pursuing the next step. And so, you know, as a part of that, one of my good friends from Texas was going to Mississippi State in the doctorate program. Her best friend was Meredith. I had a chance to meet her. And then all of a sudden the rest is history. But, you know, love definitely carried me to, to Memphis. Um, but it was after all of those moments that really kind of put me on a different trajectory saying, okay, now I'm ready to really take this next path in my career and in my life. Yeah, it's a it's an amazing thing, and I always want young people to know that uh, you can have plans, and you're, you know, as you're pursuing those dreams, um, you may not get there, but all of that work isn't isn't wasted. It becomes part of who you are, and it becomes the foundation for the next part of your life. Hundred percent. And when I look at in the moment, obviously it's devastating because you're like, what? <laughs> But looking back to your point, every single thing, all of the acting, the music, ironically, when you look at City Current, all the stuff we do, especially on the media side, I was like, how do you do TV shows and radio shows and all these things? But when you look back, it's like, it makes perfect sense. I know how to edit. I know how to run all the boards. I know how to host the shows. I know how to be, you know, teleprompters. I know how to be on TV. I know how to produce the shows. So all of those backstories, running events, Merv Griffin, like, all of those dealing with guest speakers and you know different personalities, all of those were experiences that I gained and that come full circle into what we're doing today. So to your point, you know all of these things that anyone goes through, one, they make you stronger, two is you can take the lessons learned from them, but three is they really do open up new doors of opportunity, taking those things that in the moment might not seem like they apply over but they really do give you a huge advantage in your career to be able to take new steps forward and to innovate and, uh, and, and to come up with some really new ideas as well. And that's the whole story of City Current. You know, I, um, I can think of five, half a dozen people in my life that really gave me a, a leg up or an arm up in my career. Maybe at the time I didn't appreciate it, but looking back, who are some of those figures in your life that you look back now, particularly in that time frame, and say, man, you know, that person really gave me a leg up in my, in my development. I'm like you, so many people, and for obviously very different reasons. I look at some of my tennis coaches where, especially having children now, what you learn playing sports and especially tennis, the dedication, the focus, being able to, to really tune everything out and focus on getting something done 
people like Mike Estep, Rocky Walker, Tut Bartson at TCU, um, John Newcomb's in the Nukes family, like so many of those, I, I take not only the tennis lessons, but the life lessons from. And then you look at, you know, people like Merv Griffin, who took me under his wing, and, you know, those sort of individuals that are, are larger in life in many cases than, you know, especially with the media, but yet very just good people that are extremely sharp. And with him, one day I was asking, like, you know, I just, you know, as a 20-something year old, I'm popping up, what's the secret to success? You know, thinking he's going to give me this, you know, kind of uh, long monologue. And he just looks at me and he says, attitude. And I was like, okay, expand. And he says, that's the one thing you can control. And just like a serve in tennis, you control your attitude. And yet that dictates every single move you make and how others treat you. So with, with each one, you kind of take these lessons learned. And then obviously here in Memphis, I mean, people like Johnny Pitts, um, who he's a, a friend, you know, a teammate, but a mentor. People like Michael Drake. I mean, even people like Manny Ahome, who started as a speaker for us, but he's now become a great mentor. And even recently, Alden Mills, who is a Navy SEAL platoon commander. And, you know, just on my end, I try to approach, everyone has something that they can share Everyone has something they can give. I want to be able to learn from everyone. And regardless of what that title is, where they are in their walk, in their journey of life, everyone has great insight that I can learn from. And so in a way, I kind of view everyone as a, as a mentor, some even in a, in a negative way. It's like, okay, I don't want to do that. But so many, obviously, in a positive way, um, that have, have shaped my life tremendously. Wow. Well, that's a great list of of folks and, uh, you know, learning discipline and, um, and focus in tennis. And then it sounds like your dad was a great and your mom was a, were great role models just in showing how important it is to, to be of service and not just being of service, but how small things for individuals can really add up over the course of, of years that you look back and you think, well, I just did that one thing for her, but, those one things add up over the course of, of a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously as a mentor, I mean, you have to put it at the top of the list, your, your parents, I mean, especially for me, my mom and dad, and even my brother. Um, and, and to your point, very rarely in life do you ever get to see that ripple effect play out. So you continue to do as much good and you never really know. I mean, what, to your point, what may seem something small to you is a way of helping someone in that moment of darkness was their light and they never forget. And, and I think that is the one kind of neat thing about Memphis is that kind of back to what makes Memphis special is we do Samaritan's feet where we have hundreds of volunteers. We wash kids feet. We give them new socks and shoes. It's a, it's a powerful opportunity to bring the community together to serve, but to see firsthand your impact. And there's been quite a few of them where it just, it, in a good way, it shakes you up where, one of the girls recently, early this year, before everything hit with COVID, but we were doing it in January, she had never had anyone sing to her for her birthday. She had never had a birthday celebration, never had a birthday gift. And so something as small as that of being able to sing her happy birthday and see her light up with a new pair of shoes, which was her first gift, especially for her birthday, you do finally get to see that ripple effect kind of play out and, and it becomes contagious. And I feel like, you know, to me, once you start powering the good, you become powered by the good because it moves you. 
and you start to realize that all of those little steps you take throughout the day, throughout the month, throughout the year, they do add up. And over time, you do get to see that wave that's created by just intentionally going about your day to make a difference. Well, you guys at uh, Lipscomb and Pitts, uh, Breakfast Club, and now City Currents really have made a difference. That I remember when the Breakfast Club started, um, very small, but it quickly grew. Tell us about how that came about and how your role originated with that. Sure. So all of these could be very long stories. So it's kind of like trying to find the, the best pieces because obviously, so it started in 2005. It was the Lipscomb Pitts Breakfast Club, just like you mentioned. And at the time, it was a part of a franchise. So the franchise was based out of Florida, and you would have different breakfast clubs pop up all over the nation. And a lady by the name of Michelle Yates, who's a good friend, even to this day, she's now a partner in City Current, which is a really cool full circle story. But she had the rights for the Mid-South. And so she went to Johnny and said, would Lipscomb Pitts be a title sponsor? Johnny said, sure, I'll help you recruit the charter partners to get it going. And so he went to Susan Stevenson and Independent Bank and kind of got the core group together. And so we give him credit as being the founder because he really got it off the ground. And to your point in 2005, really for the first couple of years, it really was more of a internal networking group, a business networking group, kind of like a BNI. And you had a breakfast with a guest speaker. And so at the end of 2007, Breakfast Club America started to dissolve and all these franchisees bought themselves out. And Johnny saw that as a green light. And he's like, hey, I'll buy out Michelle. She also owns St. Louis, so she could focus on St. Louis. He'd bring it in-house to Lipscomb and Pitts and for better or worse, try to make it something special. And that's when I was moving here to Memphis. And so Clear Channel Radio, at the time I was working with Dick Clark's um, radio group, which is United Stations Radio Networks. They do syndicated programs. Clear Channel Radio transfers me in, so I'm doing radio. On the side, I'm doing business plans and marketing plans for nonprofits just to meet people, to get myself plugged in. And so I'm doing that with nonprofits and someone says, you need to meet this guy, Johnny Pitts. He's buying out this Lipscomb Pitts Breakfast Club. He needs a business plan. I think you could help. So I meet Johnny and I write the plan and he comes back and says, okay, that's a thick plan. I don't have time to run that. So why don't I hire you to run this and see where you can take this thing? But here's the thing, here's the problem. We've bought it out, we've spent a lot of money and there's really not a whole lot there. So I can't really give you like a full-time job. Why don't I think creatively? And Amy Bingham, who was the director of communications, who ran the marketing for the insurance agency, she was moving to Chattanooga because her husband just graduated seminary and so they were moving. He's like, how about I give you her job? That way I can pay you. And on the side, see where you can take this Lipscomb Pitts Breakfast Club. So that's really how it all started. And, uh, you know, he and I have been on the, the, this journey ever since. But, um, you know, the whole idea was to give it a purpose, a higher purpose, take it from internal to external focused, be a city builder, use use these dollars that when you think about individual giving, foundation giving, corporate philanthropy is always at the bottom. How can you take these dollars and free them up and use them to become a catalyst? Give companies an ROI, so there's an ROI there, but now you can lean on these corporate dollars that in many cases are sitting on the sidelines and you can use them to help nonprofits. You can be strategic, you can focus on the media, you can uh, do turnkey volunteerism, like with Samaritan's Feet. You can open up the floodgates in a lot of different ways using events, media, and philanthropy 
to really make a difference. And so for me, that was kind of the, the social experiment, if you will, is to use corporate resources to make a difference strategically by opening up the floodgates and really empowering individuals to serve in powerful ways, but making it easy because the companies are supporting it. And so that's been, you know, the, the long story very short is that's what City Current is, is media, philanthropy, and events. And when you look at my backstory, we have three TV shows, two radio shows, columns, books, podcasts, all of these things that are focused on positives and making a difference. Uh, what do you think is the most uh, impactful project or initiative that, that either the Breakfast Club or City Currents has been involved in that um, either we may, may or may not know about? Uh, Samaritan's Feet for sure is an annual deal. We've done thousands and thousands of, of kids at this point. That one's an awesome one. We've done the Faith in Action. We were a big part of that on the corporate side. We're over 13,000 volunteers picked up litter. That was awesome. We've done McKellar Lake, over 90,000 pounds of trash removed. Uh, the University of Memphis won a Jefferson Award, the students for, for that work and collaboration with us. We've done telethons I and mean, we've done so many big things to make a difference that those are, are really important. Um, and I look at even things like the Power of the Dollar campaign, which was a buy local campaign, doing all the research on the economic impact and what that means to local businesses and doing a whole drive and then Memphis rocks, a civic pride campaign. So we've done some really cool things, but ultimately it comes down to, to me personally of just plugging individuals in with nonprofits and being able to see, for instance, you take a nonprofit that needs volunteers on a daily basis and saying, okay, you company, you adopt Monday, you adopt Tuesday. So you break down these big initiatives into small bite-sized pieces. And at the end, you get to see that needle move. And I think that to me is one of the cool things that we get to chance or get a chance to do is break down things into bite-sized pieces and everyone has a chance to then help. Look into your crystal ball. What's the, what's the future for City Currents? So the, the big one is Growth Current. We just launched it. Um, you know, you, you look at obviously what we're dealing with. And so, you know, Backing up, we did 187 events in person last year in Memphis. We also have a team in Nashville going full throttle. We did 186 events in Nashville. So in-person events was obviously a big part of what we, <laughs> what we would traditionally be doing with City Current. That being said, obviously with the pandemic, everything has shifted to virtual. Well, I'm a big believer in you can either bang your head against a wall or you can say, okay, this is the way it's going to be. Let's use that energy positive and let's make some pivots and adjust. And so we've launched this e-learning and online personal development platform called Growth Current. It gives individuals access to all these virtual events with national guest speakers, taking our relationships and basically handing them over to help with e-learning and, and personal development. And so launching Growth Current, the, the cool thing about that is it gives anyone around the world access. It's putting people just like you as experts saying, hey, we're gonna create these learning modules and we're gonna help people professionally and personally guide you. And whether that's yoga, elocution, public speaking, media interviews, stress reduction, mental health and fitness, all of these different threads, if you will, these currents, now we have an opportunity to share our relationships with experts and help guide others, but ultimately too, virtual events with these national and global thought leaders 
and anyone around the world has a chance to subscribe. And it's basically $8 a month or $96 for the year. So for us, that's a huge pivot going from traditionally fully corporately supported in-person events, now having to shift and saying, okay, you know what? We can up the, open up the floodgates and now anyone around the world can access this and being now online. But to me, that's where the future is headed. And it's also too a powerful opportunity for us you know, Kevin Kane talks about this a lot with the CVB, but using outside dollars to then come into Memphis to make a difference. And I feel like now we have a chance to tap into a global audience, but to bring those dollars back local to support nonprofits, which to me is a really cool opportunity. Well, from your, where you said you're at a, a very interesting vantage point of community and uh, business slash corporate uh, uh, interest and so forth. Um, you know, before the pandemic, we were kind of on an arc and the pandemic is taking us on another direction. Uh, there's an assumption, I suppose, that it's going to come back together. Uh, all that remains to be seen. But what do you think uh, the future holds now that we've kind of opened this Pandora's box of, of virtual communication and virtual interaction as we kind of come back to more in-person how do you think that's all going to play out? It definitely will normalize and technology will never fully replace. And I wouldn't even say it's really close in terms of the true relationship building, the shaking of the hands, the hugging, you know, all of those, the, the, the in-person experience. Technology is getting better, but in a way, when you talk about building relationships and especially for Memphis, the in-person is something that everyone, they want that physical connection, right? So at some point it will normalize in the sense that once we're able to get back in person, even for City Current, you'll see us back in person doing things to, to galvanize, to bring people together. And when you talk about collaboration and city building and, and breaking down silos, you have to bring people physically together to build those relationships, to talk and to move the needle forward. So I feel like that part will come back. The question is when, and especially for larger events, you know, in the event space, most of the people that we talk to say it probably will be the back half of 2021 or possibly 2022 before things really normalize. So that's a pretty good time lapse. And so for us, I look at, and, and where you're seeing, you're seeing chambers hurt. You're seeing obviously event production companies really hurt. So going back, we could either basically throw in the towel and stick our head in the sand and say, we're just gonna basically close up shop until this thing you know, comes back or do what we're doing, which is saying, we're gonna have to make lemonade out of lemons and do the best we can to give ourselves a fighting chance, but we might come back even stronger if we're productive and can do it both. And we can have the best of both worlds. Meaning that once things get back to normal, now with the breakfast, You'll have people in person, but you'll also be streaming and you have the, the hybrid, the, the digital version as well. And so I think for all of us in the event space, it definitely is a shift to go from, okay, we know the in-person, how do we create that as a digital? But then the next phase is, how do we combine both so you get the best of both worlds moving forward once things get back to a norm? And I think that's going to be, once again, disruption, but it's going to be exciting to see how it how it shakes out and, and comes to bear, because I think in a good way, it can be powerful. 
I think the businesses that are thinking, okay, I'm going to do one thing until, until we're back, thinking that, okay, we're going to be back in 20, in January of 2020, maybe in, you know, sometime in the future. I don't think that's the case. I think we're going to be in January of 2021 or 2022, whatever it is, and it's going to be, uh, you can't unring all of these bells that have happened over the last, you know, five or six months. And so the smart money is on people, like you say, that are going to figure out, okay, how do we do both and? Because um, people understand now the convenience of, of virtual, but I was reading a lot in 2019 and before about the death of, you know, office space and so forth. And that, you know, eventually computers and, and the internet are going to, no one's going to go to the office anymore. I think we've shattered that. I think people over the last few months realize how important the in-office thing is, but a company of any size like Lipscomb and Pitts, they may never have 100% of their workforce in the office at the same time. And so it's really going to be a, a both and, I think, world. And the people that are going to win are the ones who figure that out and figure out how to go ahead and start that new world today, not wait until it gets here. I think, you know, to me, that's exactly 100% accurate is that you're always from now on going to have people who are either at health risk, there's going to be other things going on. And so you've got to be able to meet people where we are. And this goes back to a conversation you and I were having offline before we recorded this is that you have to be able to meet people where they are. And you've got to now take everything that you're doing and kind of break it up into these bite-sized pieces, but to meet them where they are and, and to make it convenient and accessible. And I feel like now these, these events, especially and all the content, all of the media that you're producing, you've got to be able to make it manageable and make it on demand, so to speak, so that people, wherever they are in the office, at home, you know, whatever they're dealing with, they can access it and be a part of the experience. And I feel like that, I agree. Every, everything now is going to be this hybrid of how do you do the and, not the or. So I agree. Uh, in the business community, what do you think are the biggest opportunities Memphis has kind of on a macro level for business growth? If you, were, if you were running the Chamber of Commerce, where would you send your minions to recruit business or to grow business in Memphis? You have a, a long legacy, obviously, of the entrepreneurial um, sector here. And when you look at Epicenter and University of Memphis and the Cruise Center, I think it's really exciting to see. And I look at Sweet Bio as a great example of that. And even for me personally, like, you know, we've invested in um, Kayla and Isaac and, and their team with Sweet Bio because I just firmly believe that the entrepreneurial sector is a huge opportunity for us and it's something different that most cities don't have. They don't have the community as a galvanizing force saying, hey, we're going to help you with all of these pieces where anywhere else you're kind of on your own on an island where you might have a little bit but you don't have access to it all. And I feel like that's a wildly exciting, especially for a city with a very low cost of living, you have a big advantage there. So I feel like the entrepreneurial side is definitely a narrative that we continue to push on, but we can push in big ways. And especially if we can get those investment dollars, the seed dollars, the funding there, that's wildly exciting in terms of what other companies it will bring to the area. 
I also see though that you're having the technology sector, the, the code crews and all of these that are really taking the youth and training them with the skills of tomorrow. And I see that's a big advantage and you're seeing that play out in big ways. And so I think the tech, the AI, artificial intelligence, you're seeing some big moves on those technology sides. And once again, you have access to a, a low cost of living, a vibrant community with a lot of cultural assets, and yet you have a tech sector that's starting to really build momentum. So I think those to me are, are really exciting because it opens up global opportunities, global companies coming here. Then you look at obviously the homegrown talent. I think that's a big piece of this is the minority owned businesses, the black owned businesses and really investing in them. And I feel like, you know, in, in many ways, um, they have a huge, huge opportunity to leverage. We just have to become better at scaling those up. And obviously, I mean, you know this firsthand uh, and really pouring in on that. And so I feel like there's a, a tremendous amount of homegrown talent that we can access. And I feel like too, to so much of this is marketing. It's, it's really becoming um, a city that champions itself. And in many cases, I think that's where Memphis and Nashville differ. Memphis is very humble. Memphis doesn't like to brag. Memphis doesn't like to even report when it comes to our volunteerism that we're doing community service, serving on PTAs, coaching the, the youth leagues, right? That's just because that's what we're supposed to do. Whereas other cities are like, no, that counts for my volunteer hours. That counts for this, that counts for that. And I'm gonna brag and, and sing it from the rooftops, right? And so the difference is those stories tend to be shouted loudly from the rooftops, whereas ours are just humble fires that burn. And I think that's to me the big difference is the more we can shout from the rooftops and sing together about Memphis and what we have here, that will attract a lot of new opportunities. And when you look at companies, as you know, that want to move here, they just want what's best for themselves and for their team. They want a great place where they can raise their families. We have that. They want a safe community and a place that has access to professional sports, Shelby Farms Park, things that they can enjoy. And then they want a, a talented workforce. And so I feel like we have a lot of dynamics we just need to become really good at marketing our city and sharing that globally and using our influencers to shout that as well. Yeah, I agree. When I was in the mayor's office, uh, Mayor Strickland used to say he, can, he could get a return phone call from anybody, not with his name, but by saying, I'm the mayor of Memphis. Uh, that name, is, that the Memphis is known all over the world. Uh, and primarily for Elvis and music, and but for lots of other reasons uh, too, for being on the Mississippi River and FedEx, and the list goes on and on. And I do, I agree with you 100%. I think as Memphians, we really kind of, particularly if you're like me and you're a native Memphian, you've been here all your life, um, you take a lot of the things that we have for granted. Um, but if you go to another city and they say, Where are you from? and you say, Well, I'm from Memphis, uh, you can oftentimes just see people's eyes light up and they've all got a great story about, oh, I, I was in Memphis one weekend for a convention and I had a great time and I went to Beale Street and I went to Graceland. Um, and there's a lot of positive uh, vibe out there for Memphis and, and uh, West Tennessee. Well, I tell people all the time, my first experience was when, when I met Meredith, she was in the doctorate program at Mississippi State and I was living in Los Angeles. And so 
she came and, and picked me up and it was, we were doing like a friends, you know, a mutual connection, obviously on Maya with Molly, but um, you know, they picked me up from the airport and we ended up doing Beale Street and Graceland. And, and I, coming to Memphis, I had no, like I was neutral. I, I just knew, you know, Elvis and barbecue and FedEx and I, I knew the good things, but I came in with an open view. And, and my first experience with Memphis was phenomenal. Like I loved every bit of it. Everyone was so nice. And especially coming from Los Angeles and I, our office, our corporate office where I worked with Dick Clark's group, United Stations was in New York. So coming from New York and LA where if anybody's talking to you, they want something from you. Like I was just blown away that people were asking me questions and they didn't want anything from me. And so I was, I was really touched in a good way with just the genuine hospitality, the warmth, the, the feel, the people, and, and just the love of the city. And, and that's why when we decided to, you know, where we were going to settle down, we looked at Dallas, Nashville, and Memphis. And both me and Meredith said Memphis because we just feel like it's home. And that's the people. Well, that's a, that's a good place to end it, Jeremy. We're just about out of time. I can't think of a, a better place to leave it than that. Um, thank you for all you and City Currents do for Memphis. Um, Memphis is a better place uh, because y'all are here. And uh, let us know what we can do to help. And I, I appreciate, again, I appreciate you being on the, on the broadcast. I think uh, uh, our listeners will get a lot out of uh, hearing your story and hearing about City Currents. Well, I greatly appreciate the opportunity. So thank you very much. My pleasure. And um, I want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please, if uh, you get this, uh, this podcast, whatever medium you do, please share it, whether it's forwarding an email or liking us on Facebook or sharing us on social media, um, uh, subscribing to us on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Uh, we appreciate it. And we hope to keep bringing you good content about the folks in Memphis that make Memphis, Memphis. Again, this is Alan Crone from the Crone Law Firm. Thank you very much.